Hey, well, good morning, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We want you to stand if you're able. We're going to worship the Lord together. Singing about Emmanuel, God with us. in it. 
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. My name is Dominic Mincio. I'm the executive pastor of ministries. How are you doing this morning? Good. Much more responsive than the first service. I actually had to walk off stage and start all over again just to make sure they're okay. Uh, we're so glad you're here with us. This is your first time or you've been coming since the inception of the church. Welcome. We're so glad you took time to be with us this morning. Uh, I want to draw your attention just briefly. If you got a bulletin, would you just wave that in the air? Let's see that. Great. Thank you, ushers, for passing those out. There is a lot of life happening at our church, and I encourage you to peruse this bulletin to see all the wonderful things to get involved in, all the life that's happening at our church. But the main thing I want to draw your attention to this morning is on the back, you'll see a form that says connect with us. And this is for everyone that's here this morning. I encourage you now, even as I'm talking, to fill it out. Let us know that you're here. Let us know that uh, maybe you're going to take some next steps that we're inviting you to. Maybe you're going to hear something in the message from Ian this morning, and it's going to move your heart towards something and let somebody know about it. So fill that out. On the back side, it says prayer request. And this is something that as a church, we love to do. We have teams of men and women praying all throughout the week. And even as a staff, we take time every Tuesday in our staff meeting to pray for all the needs that come our way. And we love that every week we have to dedicate more and more time to pray for all the prayer requests that come our way. So if you need prayer or if you know somebody in your life that currently does, we'd love to partner with you in prayer. Amen? So fill that out. At the second half of the service, you'll have time to put that in the form. But welcome. Uh, in, instead of announcements this morning, we're going to uh, make one big reveal and we're going to invite our senior pastor, Steve Murray, up here to talk to you about that. Dom, thank you. Uh, we live in an amazing place, don't we? I mean, look at this. It's a beautiful day. It's fantastic. Uh, there's so much going on just in this neighborhood, but all over San Diego you see it, but especially uh, in, in La Jolla, UTC area. It's, it's, it's fantastic on one hand. It's completely annoying on the other. If you've tried to drive in or out of the village of La Jolla lately, oh my gosh, if you try to drive down here during the week, it's crazy. But it's crazy for a good purpose because there's so much life here. Uh, do you know that this area, literally, La Jolla UT area, is, the, is, is, is one of the fastest growing parts of our state? <coughs> I guess it's kind of easy. There's no room left in LA, so they got to go somewhere. But um, uh, literally, uh, we are, as much as California is the fastest growing state in the, in the nation, this area in which we live is the fastest growing segment of the state. I don't know if you've thought about that. Uh, 80, 80 something thousand people in, in La Jolla specifically, there's gonna be 130 of them uh, in the next 10 years. Do you know who most of those people are coming in the area? Young families. 6,000 new families uh, in, in, in happening right now and in the, in the years ahead. UTC spends uh, over a billion dollars doing a remodel as, as a, to make that a community go-to place. It's just fascinating to look what's going on. Um, we're at crossroads in this area, right? I mean, how many of you came here for a job or for an education at some point? A number of you. Uh, San Diego used to be a place simply that was known for the Navy. All those people who came through in the Navy said, I wanna go back and live there. And so now we're really diverse. I mean, you think about life sciences, this is where it's happening. When you think of uh, high tech, uh, computer type stuff, you think of the Bay Area, when you think of life sciences, you think here, education. Uh, arts, etc. Uh, lots of things that end up on Broadway start right here uh, at Loya uh, Playhouse. So all that be, by way of saying, we see how the area is growing and uh, that kicked us into action several years ago when we said, you know what, we really like where we are as a church. 
uh, it's cozy, it's snug, everybody knows everybody. Uh, we did this survey every year, part of a longitudinal survey with 50,000 churches worldwide, large, small, uh, rural, urban, uh, every kind of denominational, non-denominational variety. And every time we would be in the top several percentiles of the healthiest churches in the world. It just shows you how screwed up churches are worldwide, actually. One way, one way to read that. Or to say that, well, it's fantastic, very healthy place. But we asked ourselves, are we willing to grow? And this is a big moment of truth for our board. We've had five versions of our board uh, since then. All agreed, you know what, we need to grow. It's not right that this area is growing and we're not making an effort to grow. Our campus doesn't support growth. We didn't have enough of anything to support growth. And so we said, let's change that. It would be okay if we didn't grow, but we really believe God's telling us to. So we've been on this journey, alive and growing. And that has been uh, worked down, whittled down, distilled down, to now we have a very clear vision frame. If you're interested in it, we'll let you see it. A vision frame of, of values, uh, goals, strategies, tactics. Here's what we think we need to do to make room for people to join us in, in this community. Uh, and so as part of that, in, in response to the actual data that we see driving the growth in this area, which the, the median age, the average age um, of this community is 35. If you think of a bullseye, if you're shooting to hit a target, everything on the target counts, but there's a bullseye. And if we get that bullseye right, if we can reach the, this, this cohort of families this, that are being created here in San Diego or, or coming into the area, probably we're gonna reach everybody else. Why, because to reach those families, all of us who are beyond raising our kids need to be there to be their mentors. Uh, we need to be there to support that, that process. If you're not even married and you're in high school or college, you're thinking, well, I guess I'm part of that, that population. Yes, you are. So where that brings me is you see some of the things that we've come up with out of that alive and growing process. Campus improvements, some staff improvements. You know, you see uh, Dom and Ian, and, 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 and you're gonna see more changes as we move forward. Uh, why? Because we wanna put feet on great ideas. Right now, we're in the toughest part. The toughest part is change. Everybody wants to grow, change, it's very challenging. And so one of the things we're doing to remind ourselves why we're doing what we're doing is I wanna show you something right now. I wanna roll out a new visual way of seeing our church. process uh, doing this. And Ariane, would you stand up? I want to turn, have you all turn around. Let's say thank you to Ariane for designing that. <laughs> so the, the, the challenge was how do we, how do we put our arms around a, a visual that would capture the area in which we live, uh, both in terms of the, the geography. Uh, so we've captured the, the sun, we've captured the waves. Well, how, how can we capture it in terms of this interconnectivity uh, this crossroads, this time of transition that we're in, that's where the lines are, the overlapping lines. 
Um, and there's a lot more to unpack out of that visually. Uh, but you see, it, it, it's supported by, by who we are, La Jolla Community Church. So we didn't feel the need to put a cross, a dove, a Bible, a chalice, anything on the logo itself. Because we say who we are. We are a church for the community. But the logo really just represents the community that we're in. And also, as we use this in various settings, uh, people won't be distracted by seeing a cross or a dove or a Bible and trying to figure out what is that. They're going to say, well, that's an interesting mark. And, oh, it's La Jolla Community Church. So what's the most important part about this? Well, it sets us up to be focused on what we're going to do because there's more work for us to do going forward. And, and you'll hear lots about that as we go forward. But really the, the most important thing I want to say to you in the, in the next few minutes is this. It's not uh, what we're going to do that matters at the core. It's who we are. If we get who we are right, what we do is going to be really neat. If we don't know who we are, we're going to be flailing around trying to do all kinds of things to justify our existence. So who are we? We are people made in God's image to love and belong to him. That's who we are. Made in God's image to be loved and to belong to him. That's who we are at the core. That means we're people of worth because we're made in God's image. Even if we're far from him. We're rebellious toward him. We don't know him. We're indifferent toward him. If we, if we know that we are loved by God and we belong to him, and we believe that we're, as we get to know what that means, that we're worthy of his love, that means that, that our congregation is a place that says, uh, you are worthy of love and belonging in a community of people who are learning to walk with God and to listen to God, to understand who he is, what he's up to in the world. And so you see those converging lines. We come here from all over the place. We come here from having had a church life experience. Uh, we come from having no church life experience. Uh, maybe a generic faith, maybe not. You come from outside the area. Uh, maybe you've, you've, you've grown up in the area, but now you're coming into this church for the first time. Uh, all, so these roads, these converging uh, vectors bring us together. And, and having understood that we're loved by God and we belong to him, then likewise we go out on those roads to where God leads us. I was talking to a young, young ICU nurse after the service, she was reflecting on this, and she said, you know, such a great encouragement because every day when I go to work, I wanna tell these people, you are loved. You are loved. And she finds all kinds of creative ways to communicate that, and when she has a chance, she'll actually pray with people. Can I pray for you? And so it's beautiful to see how she is the embodiment, that young woman is the embodiment of who we are. And I could pick out on so, on so many people, ages and stages, who reflect that. So this is who we are, that we are loved and we belong to God. And God invites us to be connected to him and through him with one another. And as we become internally connected as a church, as we're paying attention to what the Lord is teaching us in his word, we become externally focused, right? Internally connected, externally focused. What does God want us to do to contribute to this incredible array of activity and growth in our community. It's already happening. We don't have to create any of it. We just need to enter into it and say, what can I do to be part of reflecting God's glory in this place, in this community? So that's what we're up to. And so it's a message of unity and togetherness um, that we in this beautiful case in a, a setting get to shine for him. And we get to join him in his work in the world. And we get to become like these other organizations that don't quite know what they're going to do, but they know that they've come together for a great mission. When they created the Sock Institute, they had no idea what they were going to do. Yeah, they had one product. 
in one discovery, one breakthrough. But they said, if we've had one, perhaps there are more. And so they created a place for that to happen. That's what we are doing. That's what we've done in, in establishing this church. That's what we're doing. Uh, and that's what the logo hopes to, to catch as we go forward. Now, there's lots more to get out of this. I, I strongly encourage you to go to our website. Uh, we're putting some final touches on the new website. It'll be, it's done, but it'll be really finished in better shape by midweek. So midweek, or at the end of the week, go and read through it. Now, let me say one thing about our con- congregation. We have a dense congregation. I hate to say it, uh, but um, what I mean is we're dense in the, in the, in the academic accolades and accomplishments represented here. We are thick with people with degrees and degrees on top of degrees. This is a congregation of super highly educated, smart people. Having said that, we're also dense because we don't read. We are too busy to read, and when we think we're reading, we're just glancing. And so I want to ask you to go to our website and actually read it, because the content that talks about what we're doing out of who we are uh, is, is shown on the logo, but it's going to be revealed as you read the website. So become a champion of the logo by saturating your heart and mind in the website and praying your way through that website, saying, so this is who we are. What's my part in it? Is there anything missing here that I bring to it? Is there anything that I bring that could help us to do this better? Final word on the alive and growing process that we were involved in. Um, it's not ending. Uh, we don't use that phrase anymore. But having reduced it to a vision frame, and, understand, and understanding what we're aiming for on the target, everybody is involved in that. Everybody is essential for that. It's not about us, but it includes every one of us. And so I want to invite you to sign up for the weekly email if you're not getting a weekly email, and I want you to read it. We send a read, think, and pray to set you up for the sermon content. Read that. Uh, read through everything we send you. Why? Because if you don't, uh, you're not going to understand what's going on, and you'll be confused, and when you're confused, what happens? We get frustrated. So we'll talk more about this going forward, but right now what I want to do is, is pray for us as a congregation. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for the privilege of being loved by you and belonging to you. Thank you, Lord, for the strong message of your gospel that we are worthy of love and belonging. And out of that love and belonging, we become connected to you in a transformational way, life-changing And being connected to you, we become connected to each other in life-changing, transformational ways. And so, Lord, I pray that that would open up our eyes, our hearts, rearrange our priorities, motivate us, inspire us to take that next step, whatever it is, to come into a relationship with you, to begin that relationship, or to continue it with a new sense of of discipline and determination, to uh, understand that it's not us doing better, it's your Holy Spirit making us better. And so, Lord, may we be open to what your Holy Spirit is doing in this place. Lord, if these walls could talk, we know that there would be people saying to us, do it, go for it, embrace it, celebrate it. So, Lord, that's what we want to do. And we want to bring you honor and glory. We want to bless everybody uh, who has touched the life of this church. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Even as we pray for Ian, as he brings your word to us right now. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Steve. How's everybody doing this morning? Ah, we're continuing our series, and since tax day was just last week, we're going to talk about greed. <laughs> you guys are not excited? I'm excited. You know, the first week we talked about uh, what, it, what pride does to our lives, and then last week 
We talked about anger. And this week we're going to be diving into greed. But when we usually picture greed, we kind of picture extremes. <coughs> picture an episode of Hoarders, where the person's house is so compacted with stuff, stuff that don't even use, that there's just narrow walkways. And then when the intervention specialist tries to get them to get rid of the bag of unopened goods, they practically lose their mind. I can't live without that. I can't part with that. What if I need it one day? Another picture agreed, which I prefer, I prefer is the, the one of Smeagol from Lord of the Rings, or The Hobbit also. It's this character where he's out fishing with his friend, getting food, happy-go-lucky. He reached down, he finds this ring. And in a matter of moments, it turns into this Cain and Abel-esque scene of one killing the other to keep his possession. But the next time we see this character, Smeagol, he's no longer that. He's been transformed into Gollum. And he lives at the base, in the deepest, in the darkest, most secluded place, in a troll mountain, where the, the worst of the worst live. He's at the bottom, and they have no idea he's there, because he wants to be so separated to protect his precious. We often don't think of the biblical pictures of greed. How many people have heard of the Solomon, David's son, who became king? When Solomon became king, the Lord gave him a choice. What are you going to pursue? What do you want? Could it be riches? Could it be fame? Could it be power? He says, no, I want wisdom. I'm like, oh, yes, that's like, that's like the biblical answer. Wisdom, perfect. Then we go a little bit farther into Solomon's story. We see in chapter 4, Solomon's got these stables. He's got 4,000 stables, chariots to match, 12,000 horses. Can you picture it, 12,000 horses? Can you smell it? <laughs> I'm not a fan of horses. <laughs> they just go. But not only that, Solomon got to build, in his wisdom, he got to build the temple of the Lord. And as you walk through the temple of the Lord, there's gold ornate items inlaid with jewels. You go into one part of the temple and the walls are covered with solid gold. Doors covered with solid gold. His fame and his wisdom and his prowess had grown so much that a queen from a foreign land had to come and check it out, the Queen of Sheba. She came to see, is the story true? Is what, what they say about this man fact or is it fiction? When she arrives, she's so impressed at the stories and at his wisdom and just at who he really is that she throws piles of gold at him, piles of spices, piles of stones. And we think, man, we look at this and this guy has got it all. He's got everything anyone could ever want. We, in the church, we call him the richest man that ever lived or ever will live. But when we take the story further, we see that his luxuries became his necessities. As we go further in his stories, he stops being content in the wisdom that God gave him, and he starts to seek after idols. When we fast forward at the end of his reign, when he passes the, the torch to his son Rehoboam, we read that Rehoboam's faced with this choice, an interesting choice. This man who had everything in the world, his son is posed with this interesting choice. Should I continue to oppress my people or lighten the load? How did we go from wisdom and possessions and having it all to oppression? His luxuries became his necessities. 
In 2 Chronicles, it tells how Rehoboam sends Solomon's taskmaster, the one who is charged with the forced labor of the people, the people of Israel. He's enslaved his own people to get more wealth, to get more power. Greed is a tricky subject. We use the, for, for the phrase greedy quite often. If we have our kids, we see that they have friends come over and they have their toys, and they don't want, they're like, shh, this is mine. Like, hey, 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 Timmy, don't be greedy. Share. Or if you're out with your spouse, or you're out with a friend, and they have a delicious dessert, and you didn't order one, you're like, can I share that? Don't be greedy. Sometimes those with less look at those with more and accuse them of greed. But it's deeper than what we have and what we don't have. It's way deeper than that. It's a heart issue. It's an issue that stems from our heart. So let me tell you what greed is not. Greed is not having money. Greed is not having wealth. Greed is not working hard to earn the things you want in life. Greed is not wanting things to make your life better. Greed is not saving money or investing for the future. Greed is not enjoying the bounty of your harvest. It's not, it's not enjoying what you've earned. That's not what greed is. Now, most of us have seen the classic movie, and I say classic because it's from the 80s, which is now classic. <laughs> Surprise, if you're over 40. <laughs> the cars that your parents used to have are classics, and so are the movies. Well, there's the movie Wall Street, where the infamous character Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, he would later win the Academy Award in 89 for his character. He says in this room, with all these people, all this commotion, he walks forward with the Mike Lookins. Looking swag. He's just got this nice suit on. And Michael Doug, you know, he just comes up. He says, greed is good. Greed is right. I think most of us can agree that greed is wrong. We see that like, oh, that's a good movie. But it's wrong. Greed is wrong. But some of us act and live as if greed is a necessary evil. Let me say that again. Some of us act and live is if greed is a necessary evil. Greed is a necessary evil in our lives says things like this. I need more money for my family to be happy. I need more stuff so I can be comfortable. I need this or that so I'll be successful in life. Because without it, I won't. Greed is a necessary evil, buys things they don't need while adding to the debt they cannot pay. Greed is a necessary evil, buys things that they'll never use, but because it was on sale, I might need it. Greed isn't about wealth. It's not about money. Greed is about fear. Greed is about insecurity. It's about worry. It's the lie of the scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset in its simplest terms says, yeah, I believe that I will never have enough. Better be it food, be it money, be it possessions, be it emotions. It, it'll never have enough. It stems from a place of lack, a place of fear. Fear that I won't have enough. I better grab those extra donuts. I won't have, who knows, they might be gone when I come back. 
I better, I better keep all these clothes in my closet because one day I might be a small. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> one day I might. We fear that we're not enough. We fear that we won't measure up if we don't have what others have. It's often said that greed has a solution, and the solution is generosity. I'm going to tell you that the solution to greed is not generosity. I'm going to say that because greed is a byproduct of a heart issue. When your heart is off, it moves towards greed. People can be generous, but it not come from a place of love. When you give with strings attached, I'll give you this as long as you X, Y, and Z. Or I'll share something with you as long as X, Y, and Z. The Bible talks about this. Jesus tells us we should give and not expect to receive back. We just give to give. The solution to greed, here's the solution, is contentment in God. Contentment in God. When our contentment in God decreases, our need for gain increases. Greed is desiring so, something so much that we lose our contentment in God. Solomon lost his contentment for God and sought after treasures. Greed is when we lose it and we start to find our contentment in other things. We start to look elsewhere instead of to God for contentment. Ask yourself this question. Do I seek contentment elsewhere? Am I defined by what I have and what I don't have? In those moments of need, in those moments of want, do I go to the thing, the possession, or do I go to God? Basically, when we lack contentment in God, we open ourselves up to all kinds of things, like greed. We take God off the throne of our lives, and we put something else there entirely. God is no longer being worshipped, we're worshiping this thing. We're no longer content with God, we have to find our contentment over here. So what is greed? Greed is desiring so, something so much that we lose our contentment for God. Greed is when we love something so much that we start to walk away from God. Jesus himself addresses this heart issue in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. They will either hate one and love the other, or they will be devoted to one, or they'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's a key. Greed seeks to love goods when we should seek to love God. Greed seeks to love goods when we should seek to love God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we can see what greed does. The author describes what greed does to a person when you love money. In chapter 5, verse 10, he opens with, and says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth or abundance will never be satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. He classifies it as meaningless. One trans translation calls it vanity. Greed of possession, a.k.a. materialism. Materialism is our human propensity to seek after comfort from things, from materials. 
We see it more important than anything or anyone else. In our society, we are constantly flooded with images and messages of what we need. You gotta have this. I can't drive down the freeway going home without seeing a casino sign telling me that if I come here, I'm gonna win big and I'm gonna be happy. <laughs> if I drink this beverage, all my friends are gonna look like this and we're just gonna be happy sitting around the fire. <laughs> if you work out here, you'll look, out, you'll look like this and so will your friends. They don't put me on the workout ad. They don't want, they, if you look like this, you need to be here. It says you will look like this when you come here. You'll be happy. You'll be content. You'll have satisfaction once you have this product. Or will you? Paul addresses this, his, this lack of a contentment in his first letter to Timothy. He says in chapter six, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now let's look at that phrase. We, this is often, this scripture is often used. It's used secularly. It's used Christian wise, but we often misquote it. We take it out of context. We say money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what it says. It says the love of money is a root it's just one root of many different evils. As we go through this series, which is based on the seven deadly sins, we saw first, the first week that pride is a root that produces a discontentment. Anger is a root that produces discontentment with God. Greed is another root. All these things, when we open ourselves up to them, they take root and they breed discontentment. Paul goes on to say that some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Love of money, love of stuff, love of anything that is not God, the author Ecclesiastes tells us, you will never be satisfied by. It doesn't matter how much you have, how much you earn, how much you gain, how good you look, you'll always be able to do or need a little bit more. You can work a little bit harder. You can earn a little bit more. It's always going to be a little bit more. passage Steve mentioned last week that these are called the deadly sins, the seven deadly sins. And they're called the seven deadly sins because they suck the life out of you. They don't bring contentment. They don't bring satisfaction. Anger never produces anything good. Greed never produces anything good. It only breeds destruction. They don't give, they take. They're like black holes in our lives that suck everything in it. It all disappears. They take down us and everyone in the radius of us. That's what these things do. We'll never reach the end of our need. We'll always have to get more if our God is not God. This demonstrates the importance of having a contentment in God. Our hearts are deceitful. We, the love of money, even though we profess a meager lifestyle, we hear sermons upon sermons like today about this topic but it has been the shipwreck of many of souls. It has been the travesty of many of people's lives. The author Ecclesiastes, continuing in chapter five, verse 11, gives us the two sides of greed, the haves and the have-nots. He says in verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. 
And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his own eyes? This picture of here's the owner that has all these wealth, but he doesn't get to take part of it. Other people are coming and taking, eating. All he, has to sit, all he does is sit back and watch. This is the have-not side of greed. Many of us have seen or experienced this. What people do for possessions, what people do for money. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they kill. I remember growing up outside Chicago in the 90s when Michael Jordan was big and the shoes had just come out and everybody wanted a pair of Jordans. Everybody wanted Air Jordans. But then all of a sudden the news started to show every night another kid was hurt, another kid was killed. They were taking their shoes. Those who had not saw those who had and said, I gotta have that because you have something I don't. That greed festered and it resulted in harm. However, this scarcity mindset, this lack of, this, this, this lack, this fear, it doesn't only pretend, pertain to those who don't have. It pertains to those who have. In verse 12, the author of Ecclesiastes goes on and says, Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or he eats much. But the full stomach of the rich will never let him sleep. The author tells us that the one with the full stomach, he or she is the one who loves money, and they will never be satisfied. They will always be concerned about their goods. Is it okay? Do I have enough? It will keep them up at night. Where the one who has not and doesn't, doesn't love money but loves the Lord sits peacefully. It doesn't matter if, his, if he's in feast or famine. He's peaceful. Have you ever watched Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Or for the, the younger demographic, MTV Cribs? Or that VH1 knockoff? I don't even know. Do we even have VH1 anymore? There's so many channels, I don't even know. I don't even have cables, so I don't even know. But these, these, there are these scenes where we go to these great houses. The camera crew comes in. They show you all these amazing things. You're like, oh, that kitchen has four sinks. I don't, what they, I don't even know what they do with all that, but they have four sinks. And you go a little bit farther, they have this, this handcrafted uh, fish tank with fish we've never seen before. And you go a little bit further, and they have all these things with TVs laid up. And they have the, the, the relaxation, massage, video game, TV chair with the toilet built in so you never got to get up. <laughs> That's the type of luxury we're talking about. But as the camera crew leaves, they drive away, and they always show this shot, either by helicopter or by car, of the owners waving or the owner waving. But as you get farther and farther back, you see that outside this amazing place are walls or valleys. They're separated. They're apart from everybody. When possessions are our God, we go to great lengths to protect them. We build fences. We build walls. We build shelters to protect the stuff from the outside. The problem is when we build these shelters, we build these walls, we build these protections, we begin to lose touch with who's outside the wall. We begin to lose touch with what's going on around us, what's going on in our community. Now, this is not to say don't protect yourself. What I'm saying here is check your heart. Ask yourself this question. Am I spending my time building walls to protect my stuff when I should be building bridges to reach people? Am I building walls to protect stuff when I should be building bridges to reach people? 
Does the thought of protecting our stuff govern our lives? Or is the thought, how can I bless others? Here's some facts. 842 million people suffer from hunger in the world, roughly 12%. 790 million people are without access to proper water supply. 1.8 billion people, roughly 25%, do not have adequate sanitation. Here's something a little bit more local. Less than 10%, and some would say less than 6% of our population here in San Diego County do not know the Lord. They're not Christians. So what you're telling me is 6% or 10% of the people in this area are Christians and 90% or more are not? Hmm. A more modern proverb says this. Instead of building higher walls, let's build longer tables. When we build bubbles of protection, we isolate ourselves. We become detached from the world around us. However, greed does not only involve possessions or things. It involves our person and our time. I love the classic character, Ebenezer Scrooge. We see in the story is this, this character, he's this curmudgeonly angry, just all, outright just nasty character who loves money. But if we take a step back and we look at the big picture of who this person was in the story, we see at one point this was an outcast poor boy who crawled out of the gutter to find success. That sounds good. He didn't let oh, the, the oppression around him guide him. He pursued something. However, when he got to that point where he had possessions, he became greedy. Had a, had a woman. Nope, can't deal with you. You want to follow my, my ways. Has a nephew throughout the story that's pursuing him, trying to get him to come over for dinner. Puts him at arm's length. Here's this man who has this wealth, but that's not the only thing he has to offer. He has experience. He has life experience. He went from the lowliest, and he made something of himself. How much of a blessing could he be if he's not, not just sharing his wealth, but he shared his time, if he shared his experience with those around him? How could he bless his family? How could he bless those around him? Each of us, in our own unique way, has a story. We have an amazing talent. We have amazing experience that we can share with those around us. However, when we're not content with God, we're greedy with ourselves. We don't want to share. I got things to do. When something else sits on the throne of our lives, we operate out of fear and lack. We begin to isolate ourselves. Well, if I don't have enough time for me, then what do I do? I got to take care of that. We begin to hoard away our time instead of share it. We buy into the necessary evil that I need to be greedy with myself because no one else is going to watch out for me. I got to take care of me. I got to watch out for me first. There are those in this congregation in this room right now that have worked through tough times. You can take those tough times and you can pay it forward to someone who's going through that tough time right now. There's those in this room right now that have suffered disease or medical problems that could go alongside those and walk hand in hand with people who are suffering right now. We have those who have lost loved ones, 
gone through divorce, that can step up and help those who are going through that process right now. The older can walk alongside the younger as life guides. The older has been there, done that, and they got the scars to prove it. But we don't get that when we don't share ourselves. We don't stand back and offer our time and our experience to those around them. We're being greedy. Greed is self. Christians are called to participate in the body. Paul calls us the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In Hebrews 10, it says we're supposed to love and encourage each other towards loving good deeds. In Galatians 6, we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. In Ephesians 4, it talks about us being this body, working together, each ligament and muscle, for the purpose of growing the body and building itself up in love. Now, truthfully, this is one I wrestle with. I'm, a, I'm an introvert by nature. I need my me time. Not going to lie. Is that, if anybody, the first service only had three introverts. We all got together in a corner afterward. But if, if you're an introvert in the room... You know what I'm talking about. You need your downtime. You need a little, the, little, back, little back by yourself so you can get recharged. And so when I come home from work, I have a family of five, my wife and my four kids. And the kids are ready. They're like, yeah, dad's here. Let's go. Woo, 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 woo. And I'm like, oh. And I have a choice. I can go take care of me at that moment. Or I can share. I can be greedy with my time and say, you know what? I need to go away and do something. Or I can share. People need a listening ear. Neighbors, friends, family. They need someone to encourage them. But when we're greedy with self, that doesn't happen. Does the thought of protecting our precious time control our lives? Or is the idea of how can I bless others with my experience? Using the measure from Ecclesiastes 5, we can spend all our time working on something and it will never be enough. We can work way more harder, but it will never be satisfied. We can spend so much more time on that school project, but it will never be satisfied. Or we can spend our time with others also, creating that balance. Now this isn't to say, don't take time for yourself, don't get rest, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to take stock of our life and look, where are we spending our time? What governs the thought process? Are we always worried about us and never considering others? This last aspect of greed is one that is the most concerning and the most frightening for me. When I was in the Navy, one of the, one of the worst things that could happen to anybody is if you fall off the ship at night. Never done it, but I heard. I heard, it's pretty scary. But you picture this, there you are standing on solid ground, on rocking back and forth, and the next thing you know, you're consumed and covered by complete darkness. There's nothing above you for miles, there's nothing below you for miles, and your only hope of salvation is going away from you. What fear that would produce? What would you think at that moment? Fortunately, at the back of every ship, they have something that's called the aft lookout. 
They sit in the back, and their whole job is to make sure if anybody falls off the ship, they throw them a life ring. That's their whole job. We're sitting in here in a community where 90 to 95% do not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And each of us in this room, if we confess him as our Lord and Savior, we have a life ring, an eternal life ring. Where people are sitting, 90%, 95% of the population is sitting in darkness surrounded and they don't even know it. And you, we, we have the life ring. And our choice is, are we going to be greedy with the gospel? Have you ever heard that phrase before? Are you going to be greedy with the gospel and keep it to yourself? Oh, I got to keep this to myself. Newsflash, the gospel's for everybody. Am I going to be greedy with the gospel? Or am I going to throw that life ring? Well, if I throw the life ring, then it might affect my job. Then I won't be happy anymore. If I throw the life ring, I might lose some friends. If I throw the life ring, my social media likes will go down. If I throw the life ring, I don't know what's going to happen. Greed, being greedy with the gospel. We have the answer to people's problems. Jesus came so you could have eternal life. Jesus saves. Jesus is everything you want, you want and more. You're never going to be thirsty again. You're never going to be hungry again. We have that life ring. But are we willing to throw it? All of us can think right now, there's people in our lives that we can throw that life ring to. Life ring, just be inviting them to church. Tell them that Jesus loves them. Giving them a book. Giving them a podcast. There's many ways to throw that life ring. Which one are you going to use? Now here's the solution to greed. The solution to greed, as we said earlier, is not generosity. The solution to greed is the death of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Since Christ was crucified, and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we have been raised with him. His death has brought us life. We're supposed to focus on that. His death changed everything. Grace and mercy are available. Instead of focusing on what we don't have or what we could have, we put him on the throne and he governs our life. He goes on to say that Jesus is his antidote, his resurrection is the solution. He is the cure to our earthly affliction. And in the next part of Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he says, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. As we go forward today, let us think, how are we being greedy? Are we being greedy with possessions? Are we being greedy with our time? (coughs) Lord forbid, are we being greedy with the gospel in a population where 90 plus percent are in the darkness? 
Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much. Thank you so much that you went to the cross for us. No matter where we are or what we did, Lord, you loved us and you came to die for us so we could have eternal life. Lord, we look to you in our times of need. We look to you in our times of want. That you are the author and perfecter of our faith. That as we pour into you, you pour into us. Lord, help us to lift our eyes to you. Help us to seek you over the things of this world. In your name, amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. A lot was said. And so what I would hate to happen is that we walk away and go like, yeah, agreed. That's for somebody. Uh, what I'd love to do is, I think several times in that message, he asked us to take stock, or reflect, or evaluate. So we're gonna just carve out 30 seconds for each of you to do that this morning. I want you to reflect, and here's the one question I want you to ask. And I don't know what your prayer life looks like or if you pray at all, but sometimes prayer is a lot of talking to God. And uh, what I'd encourage you to do is just ask a simple question and then be silent and say, God, why don't you talk to me? Maybe I should just be quiet for a moment. Here's a question I want you to ask and then 30 seconds of silence and reflection. What do you want to say to me this morning? Not anybody else, not your neighbor, not the husband or spouse that you are elbowing this morning, but just you specifically. God, what do you want to say to me? Let's go to him now, 30 seconds. Lord, collectively, we come to you this morning. And I pray hearing a message like that and hearing all the sum of your teachings causes correction in us and conviction. And it pierces down to the bone and the marrow and, and radically transforms the way we see our whole lives. God, I pray that we wouldn't sit in a posture of beating ourselves up. But I also pray that we wouldn't sit in a posture of complacency. That your word and that your spirit and that the gospel that is good news would motivate to love and good deeds. And as a gathered church, that we would spur each other on to those love and good deeds. That this would be the huddle that reminds us that you are a God that's good and rich in mercy and generosity. And that you're interested in our hearts, not in just our deeds. 
Thank you that we don't earn favor and that there's no gold chart with stars on it this morning that say we did all the right things. But we look to you, the, the one, the perfecter of our faith, that if it wasn't for your resurrection, there was no remedy for things like greed. So may you, once again, even in these moments, sit in your rightful place in our lives on the throne of our hearts. That we would be so enamored and content with you that the natural response would be to give you everything. And for our community, Lord. One of the least church places in America that we sit in this morning. Would that break our hearts for those who know you this morning? Would it radically alter the way we live and move and play? Create an urgency in us, Lord, not to proselytize, but to live out the love that we've been given in a way that's so compelling that would draw others to know you. Give us the radical capacity to move outside of ourselves and our preferences and our fears and the greed that takes different forms in our lives today so that this community will know you, that generation after generation will see a number of those that don't know you and know you change. God, that next year we'd say that that, that number is 80% don't know you. And then 10 years from now we say it's, it's the 50% that don't know you. By your grace, would you help us do that? We love you and we lift our eyes to you now. In Jesus' name. We're going to respond as we just conclude our service this morning through worship, through song, but we're going to worship through giving. And many of you do that online. Many of you do it with year-end gifts or in other ways, but this is our time just to respond and worship. If this is your first time here or you're our guest, this is not the sales pitch to you, the thing you've been waiting for. This is no obligation to give, but just to see the body of Christ worship you and worship the King this morning. For those who have already given their gifts, we just encourage you again. Prayer card and connect form. Would you put that in the basket as it's passed? And let's go to the Lord now. Thank you. 
stand up and sing this with us. to take us out of the world is to make us alive and take us into his kingdom right here in the world. Uh, as you leave today, you're going to receive a card, uh, if you'd like one, and a button with the new logo on it. Let this be a reminder uh, to you of, of God's call in your life. Uh, if you know who you are, he'll be the one to tell you what he wants you to do. If I tell you and it doesn't work, you'll say, well, Steve told me it didn't work, I'm free. But God wants to tell you who you are so that he can tell you how to join him in his work in the world. 
And so pick this up before you leave today. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine, he loves you that much. May he give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh,